you know, cause if you think you're worse than everybody else and you're depressed and you just got to hide because you're not worth anything, you're not going to create anything good in the world. If you think you're better than everyone else, you're going to walk around stepping on people. You're not, <laughs> you're going to make really superficial friends and your endeavors will inevitably fail because people don't want to be around you. great to meet you man thanks for having me on your show i appreciate it um always i'm always uh happy to uh try to contact new audiences new people who maybe don't know who i am or what my mission is uh my name is ben goreski i have uh, a brand and a podcast and many things uh, called evolving man and um i also work with a men's work organization called uh, the samurai brotherhood i've run groups for those guys i've, I've I help run the organization and I'm, I'm, uh, their mission is closely aligned with, with my mission. I really want people to uh, find themselves. I want people to find healing, recovery, and uh, learn to thrive uh, despite the cars that they were dealt in their childhood and in their early life. Uh, I want people to uh, live their best life. That's, that's really what I want. And, and, I've had my own journey of finding recovery and finding healing and, and growth in my life and, and learning to thrive. And I want to share those things with other people. I want to, I want to, you know, help heal the planet as best I can and just share the medicine that I've been given in my life. And uh, one of those methods is uh, what's called men's work. Uh, men's work circles have had a huge impact on, on this latest uh, evolution in my life over the last six, seven years. And, um, it's the reason why I'm at where I'm at in my life right now. And uh, the men's work uh, group that I, I joined was called Samurai Brotherhood. And we had uh, three groups at the time in, in the brotherhood. And I became a leader. I, I, I learned to understand the work and to teach the work and to facilitate the work and um, help the organization grow. And we're at 50, 50 squads now. So we've got 500 wow. men and uh, just, just expanding the work. Uh, as wide and as far as we can. I want uh, men's work to be as common as yoga. And I want, in the future, I want it to be pretty clear that uh, as my friend Trevor Boehm, Trevor Boehm says, uh, in the future, there will be men who have men's groups and men who don't have men's groups. And it'll be pretty clear and everybody will know like who's what, you know, and yeah. it'll, be, it'll be that common, you know, like, do you do yoga or don't you do yoga? You know, this can be like simple uh, dinner time conversation. So uh, yeah, that's what I'm involved with. And, uh, I'm glad to be here to, to share a bit about that with you today. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Um, out of curiosity, is there any of the Samurai Brotherhood in Texas? Yeah. So how, how this thing started was, uh, in-person, in-person circles. And, uh, we grew to about, I'm going to say 20, 25 circles 
mostly in the Vancouver, Canada. Vancouver's on the west coast of Canada, just above Seattle area. And, um, and we slowly started sort of expanding into different places. But uh, three years ago, I came down to where I am now, which is uh, Mexico. And I was leaving my, uh, my squad back home. I'm in the Tulum area right now. Um, okay. And I was like, ah, you know, whenever I travel, I, I can get a little bit insular with my wife. Like we get a little bit enmeshed and we get tired of each other's energy. Like men's group has always been this place where I get some space from her. I recharge, I come back and, and she gets some space from me. And it's a good thing. Um, that kind of space is, is good for our relationship is what we found. And I was like, oh, I'm not going to get that. So um, I had had some other experiences on Zoom. And in like a mastermind business mastermind setting. And I was like, I want to try this for men's group. Let's see what we can adapt here to make it work and see if we can get the connection going and that kind of stuff. And uh, so I started up with a sample group of nine guys plus me and it worked. Uh, six months later, the guys were like, yo, this is awesome. Let's start another group. And, and the purpose is to reach guys in other places but then ideally as an endpoint to have them start groups in their own mm -hmm. cities uh, with using the format that we use, which isn't overly complex or um, particularly uh, secretive. It's, it just works, you know? Um, so to answer your question, we have members in Texas, but we don't have groups in Texas. So okay. we have 15 online squads now uh, and growing actually 16 right now, as we speak. And, uh, members all over the world. And those guys, some of those guys are fixing to start their own squads soon. And we've had guys do that already. Portland is, is an area where we've got, we're starting to have enough men where like it's about to happen. LA, there's some energy building in LA. So my hope is that five years down the road, we've got all these sort of satellite cities that are starting, you know, there's a couple in-person squads there and they're actually creating more in-person squads and sort of expanding that way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've, I've had some minor uh, exposure to what's called the Mankind Project here in the U.S. Right. Um, and so, yeah, it sounds a little bit, as far as the structure of the expanding and all that, is that they're doing a similar thing right now. But um, how do you, I want to ask you about Tulum, but before that, um, how does somebody who wants to join a men's group you know, when you start therapy, it's like, you might not have the best therapist right away. Is, is there a similar dynamic with a men's group and how, what's, what should somebody look for? Yeah, there's a lot wrapped up in there. Um, therapy is one thing and men's groups can be therapeutic for sure. The, the, the work that we do in, in men's groups is therapeutic, but it's, um, on a whole, it's, it's not therapy because it, it is action focused. It's relationship focused. That's one of the things that I love about the work is that, um, you know, a lot of men these days, actually the thing they need most is, is to take action in their lives because we are, we've been blessed with being able to make a lot of choices with what we do with our lives and that we can get into decision fatigue and we can, we can be like, what's my, you can walk around your whole life going, what's my purpose, you know? What do I do with my life? There's endless possibilities and never really take any action. 
And uh, so I think in, in, in good men's groups and, and traditionally there is a focus on taking action in your life. What is it that you want to do and what are you going to do about it? There's also sort of deeper processing that goes on and things like that, that can be therapeutic and there's relationship stuff that men work through. Um, but those two things combined, it's just like magic. So little tangent there, but what, what does a guy need to look for? Um, I think each organization has its own energy signature and you can feel that when you go into a mankind project group, you can feel the energy signature of what's going on there. And if you like that, join those guys. Um, if, if it doesn't quite fit for you, go somewhere else. Maybe it's a church men's group. Uh, maybe it's sacred sons. Maybe it's the man talks Alliance. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's every man. Um, and when you come into a samurai brotherhood group, uh, you find that first of all, you don't get to choose the group that you join. You just get placed in it. Right. Um, some, and usually that's logistical. It's like, this is the time slot that fits for you, or this group is happening near your house and we're going to place you there. But even once you land there, if you don't like that group, you want to go to another group. You don't get to do that. You're stuck with the men that you're stuck with kind of like you get stuck with family and all of your judgments and projections of the guys that are going to come up and your judgments and your projections uh, of the captain and you know your issues with authority they're going to come up with this guy and you're going to have all kinds of issues with how he's leading this kind of stuff comes up for almost every man and in our brotherhood this is the stuff that you're there to work through on year one you know and once you've worked through that there's not there's another layer of stuff to work through and uh, we don't have all of that mapped out for each man because every man's journey is different but i'm, I'm just saying that um We've built it in a way where you see the same guys every week consistently and there's no in and outs. There's no drop-ins, right? So you build a level of intimacy and real connectedness, like real band of brothers energy. In order to facilitate that, you got to create some glue that's going to stick it together. And so in our brotherhood, you pay, you pay to be a part of it. And the attendance standards are high. If you miss group, you need to explain why you weren't there. You were sick, you were away, there was an emergency or you have to work. Um, and those things, that, that, that structure creates a container that's actually safer for men to drop into. And some of these, organi every organization operates differently in terms of their attendance, whether guys are paying or not. And um, there's certain rituals and things that guys go through. So it's really about just feeling into what works for you. And actually where you are, there's a new thing rising up called the Empowered Brotherhood uh, led by Preston Smiles and um, some of the other, I, ha I had one of the other guys who's involved uh, on my podcast recently, uh, Steph Sifandos. And they're doing these like workouts that are combined with personal growth. And I'm sure they're going to create a next level of something where like guys are not just working out. They're like doing the work together. Um, but if I was in Austin, I'd be involved with those guys because they're, they're in the work in some capacity. Those guys are coaches and um, I would just jump on that train. <laughs> That's awesome. No, I'm actually looking for uh, a group to join um, because like you mentioned, the groups that I've joined all sort of, you know, they do have these accountability exercises and they do help. But at the end of the day, it's one week I'm seeing six people on the Zoom. And then the next week, it's one guy from last week and six new faces. And so there isn't that 
uh, the level of accountability that you described, which I feel is definitely something that would help me and anybody my age. Um, yeah. I want to deviate just a little bit because I don't want to lose track of the Tulum thing. I, I grew up in Cancun and one of the things I actually, as I was looking at your Instagram or as I have been, I noticed Tulum being the location for a few of your posts mm-hmm. and and I thought, oh, maybe he's doing a, a retreat there or something. And But you said you're still there and you went there three years ago. So you've been there yeah. for three years? I, no, I haven't. I actually came here for a month, three years ago. And then we, we were just exploring Mexico. It was actually my first time in Mexico three years ago. I'm 37. And so we just, we checked out this area. We did some cenote diving and it was like a live work thing. And then we went over to Baja. We checked out Todos Santos in Baja and we checked out uh, Mazunte in Oaxaca province. And um, it's sort of a like live somewhere warm for the winter type of situation. Okay. And so um, we're, we're currently doing that. And then um, we're actually going to hop over to Sayulita, which is a place I've also never been to. And I love to surf. I love to free dive. I love to spearfish. And so we're going to spend a month over there. I wish I was running events down here. And I, I really, I love running events. That was something that I was really starting to step into right as COVID hit. I had organized this thing for um, the, the Brotherhood guys where we were going to be taught how to do the haka. We had these guys coming up from Australia, these, these Maori dudes who were currently living in Australia, and they were going to teach us a haka in Vancouver. And we had other events scheduled as well, and they all just got canceled um, mm. in, in March of uh, 2020. So I've been taking it easy on the events side of things, but I, I wish I was running something down here uh, for guys, but you know, sometime in the future, no doubt. Yeah. Yeah, no, and I, I, uh, I know that there's a lot of different like plant medicine retreats specifically in Tulum and Playa del Carmen, and I know that's something you've dabbled in. Um, it's something I started doing in the last two years, and so I wanted to ask you about that a little bit. Um, what sort of what what medicines have you? Which one did you start with, and which ones have you done? And then I've got some more questions after that. Yeah. You're in recovery, right? Yeah. Tech it's I've, I've, I've never really identified. Um, and I think that's my own baggage. Like I've never identified as someone in recovery. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but the truth is that yes, it's a uh, sex and marijuana. Uh-huh. Good. Yeah. Well, you just did identify and good for you, man. I mean, you, you got to be able to identify something in order to change it. Right. And, um, both of those things have their own unique challenges. You know, marijuana is this very sort of socially accepted up and coming, like it's cool now. Um, but it's not like illegal (laughs) and, uh, and sex is this thing that like, it's almost like, it's not quite like food, but it's like something you're going to do in your life but there you have to figure out how to not do it in like a, 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 a not deviant isn't the right word, but a self-destructive mm. way, right? How do you, and that's very hard for people who have dealt with addictions or addicts, right? It's like, how does an alcoholic learn to drink normally? It's like very, very, very difficult. So with what we call a process addiction, it's a, there's a lot of work that needs to be done on 
in the depths of your being so that you can engage sex in whatever way in, 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 a, in a healthy way for yourself. Right. So, and how old are you? I just wanted to know. That 26. Well. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. So regarding plant medicines, um, I, I went through my own recovery journey as well. And, and when I was 16 years old, I went to rehab. And at that time I identified as an addict. I went to AA, I did straight sober and I, I did that for 15 years. And I went through lots of my own evolution in that process. Um, you know, initially just thinking that like all drug use and alcohol use was addictive and the whole society was in denial. They're all addicted. And, and I slowly sort of filled out um, what I think is more of the truth of things. And um that uh, he, yeah and even just like being in 12-step programs and like guzzling coffee and smoking cigarettes and playing video games like to the max it was like not considered a relapse um which which is sort of this like funny double standard um so i just started to sort of i started to see through my own ideas and um poke holes and things and realize that there's like a lot of gray in the world and that what i have to do is find my own path and what works for me and what doesn't work for me that's the most important. And in my late twenties, started listening to podcasts like yours and had new ideas coming through and people talking about psychedelics and um, how they can create a spiritual connection and transformation and deep insights into your mind. And uh, yeah, I was like, I, I, I think I want that. Like I'm drawn towards that. There's a part of me that's drawn towards that. And is that the part of me that's an addict or is that the part of me that's like in recovery and wants to be better? You know? And I was, I spent actually a couple of years thinking that through and talking about it with friends and basically anybody who was in 12 step programs was like, no, if you do that, it's a relapse. I'm like, yeah, I get why you're saying that because that's what you've been told. But what is a relapse? You know, a, a, a relapse is really like using something uh, to escape. That, that was my addiction it was escape at its core. Like I'm, I'm going to do this thing to escape my pain in an obvious sense. I think in some way we're always trying to avoid pain. You know, like, Oh, I'm hungry. I'm going to eat, you know, but like <laughs> a little bit more than that. Right. Um, and it just felt right, you know, and I, I sort of drifted away from 12 step stuff and I started bringing in people into my life who were pretty balanced and who also had a relationship with psychedelics. So uh, not to deviate too far, basically what happened was I had someone take me on a solo mushroom journey. And once I connected with that medicine and, and the anxiety came up and then I started to settle into the, you know, relaxed state of like, Oh, this is what this is. Um, I was like, Oh, this is actually really safe. And I trust this. And this is actually good for me. I feel like I'm connecting to myself and to the universe and to some, some other thing. And so all along the way, I've, I've continued to uh, experiment and step into things and then step out of them and, and find what is, is my frequency and what's not my frequency. I've never drank alcohol again. I just know it's not my frequency. Um, it's a literal poison. So not my thing. Um, and I only want to put things into my body that raise my consciousness. And actually that be, is also something that became even more clear when I was on certain psychedelic journeys where I was like, 
I got clear on like really what I want in my core and what I'm looking for and which substances might help that and which contexts might help that, you know, who am I with? Where am I? What's my intention? And what is this substance? And do I know what's in it? All of those questions are super important if I'm going to step, take a step forward. And so, yeah, I mean, in the end, mushrooms, LSD, um, couple MDMA journeys, um, a certain therapeutic drug as well, uh, ayahuasca. And I went to the jungle and, um, and also found um, that medicine in my home country. And yeah, just have developed this relationship with all of these things that's not like uh, all the time and always, always, always something, but just balanced, you know, and um, using the tool for the right purpose. And um, all along the way, yeah, just like having to deal with that part of my mind that's, that's the addict still in there, just like wants things, wants euphoria all the time. And um, bringing that into balance, you know, I think everybody has to learn that for themselves. And mm. um, yeah, so that's the summary of my journey. And I mean, I'm down if you have any specific questions about that. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I, just to give you some context, I have done ketamine, uh, mushrooms, and MDMA therapeutically. I, before I started this, I did a bunch of other shit. Um, but I didn't, it doesn't feel like I, I really started until I found like a shaman that I was working with directly who has like decades of psychology background and it's it's not just me going to like a, a building in the in the middle of a plaza and doing ketamine and then just going home um, yeah. and one of the things that I've always been afraid of with this work is spiritual bypass and yeah. and it kind of it this thing of mine came up when you asked me if I'm an addict is like I have this tendency to identify with like Oh, I'm not actually doing the work. Like I'm a fraud. Mm. And, and to my understanding, that is sort of spiritual bypass is like, Oh yeah, I'm doing all these medicines, but my life is still in shambles. Uh, so I guess my question is, did you ever encounter spiritual bypass or have you? And what is that? Like, how do you move forward? if, if you realize that that's what you're doing. Mm -hmm. I think spiritual bypassing is, uh, is just a sophisticated form of arrogance, right? It's, it's like, I'm above this. I don't have this emotion anymore, or I don't deal with this thought pattern anymore. And humans are funny. It's like we tend to either, you know, your ego goes one way or the other with things. It says you're better than everyone else, or it says you're worse than everyone else. You're more of a victim. You're more in pain. You're more slighted and disadvantaged by society than everyone else. And I, and I think everybody listening to this can see that around them and see how there's people out there who are just like, they just live to be a victim. And there's people out there who just live to be better than others and, and to um, like be a crab that's climbing to the top and I'm on top, you know, and to, and to dominate others. 
And I think spiritual bypassing is this sort of like shadow magician, um, manipulative way of, of your arrogance coming through and being like, Oh yeah, you know, like I've just, I've just transcended that. You know, people do that a lot with anger. It's like, you ask the person, like, are you like, do you have anger in you? And, you know, a lot of people say like, Oh no, no, no. Like I'm not an angry person. Like I actually can't remember the last time that I was angry. Like I'm just think I, I did my work and I'm done with it. Like, I'm just so grateful that I did the work in my life. Right. <laughs> and you laugh. Cause it's like, wow, that's fake. Right. But uh, I think a lot of people go through a phase like that where they're like, Oh, I'm done. Like I'm done my work. And um, the more you learn about yourself and about life, the more you learn how little, you know, right. And so you see that in these geniuses who have like gone to the depths in the world and they're like, Oh, like there's, they're humble because they're like, Oh, I don't know anything. And you're like, how can you say that? You don't know anything. You know so much. And it's because they, they've seen through their own bullshit over and over their own hubris, their own arrogance. And um, so I think a good way to, um, to deal with spiritual bypassing is, uh, you know, you can do that through ownership, like owning, like, yeah, this is how I think I'm better than other people. This is how I think I'm ahead. You know, we do that sometimes in my men's group. Uh, I'm better than you because, and we'll just have guys like to say, I'm better than you because I'm faster and stronger. I'm better than you because I've done more with my life in, and I'm only 24, you know, I'm better than you because I've read more books and we all just do that all at the same time. And not, I mean, one at a time. And, you know, in 20 minutes, it's like, there's so many hilarious things that have come out of a guy's mouth. Um, and it's this sort of great equalizer, right? Because we all realize like, Oh, look at all of us, like thinking we're the best. And, and other times we'll do like, um, I'm special because, right. Everybody share your special story. Right. I'm a, I'm actually a victim. I've had a harder life than you because, right. And just owning that shit. That's, that's a very useful um, way to do it. And as you can see, like, it's really useful to do that with other people. You can do it with yourself, but it doesn't have as much power. Like you can meditate on a mountaintop and meet God, but like, can you be with God while your mother is wagging her finger at you and you're 30 years old and she's trying to tell you how to live your life still, right? Can you be spiritual then? So um, I really believe in doing this with groups. And the other thing you can do is allow people to give you feedback. You know, sometimes what we do in men's group is you sit a guy at the front in a chair and guys will uh, give him one at a time clear feedback about what they see in him. You know, I, I, you know, could be, I see you as a leader because here's all the ways that I see you as a leader. Here's all the ways that I don't see you as a leader. Here's how you don't show up as a leader. And you're not always true to your word. You haven't taken care of your body, your relationship is shit. And you, you admit that to us and you're not doing anything about it. You're working in a job that you hate, you know, having, having guys say that to you in a controlled space where you have to just shut up and listen, you just got to breathe and take that in. That'll bring you down off your pedestal. If you're, if you're on one, right? So this, these are like really simple useful techniques that um, 
that you can create for yourself and you can find in an intentional circle. And this, you could see, Nick, why I'm like, yo, everybody needs a men's group because everybody needs that. Like we all spiritually bypass sometimes. We all think we're special. We all think we're worse than everybody or that we're better than everybody in some way. And we need a wise hand to slap us and snap us out of our delusion so we can get back to work in our lives. You know, Because if you think you're worse than everybody else and you're depressed and you've just got to hide because you're not worth anything, you're not going to create anything good in the world. If you think you're better than everyone else, you're going to walk around stepping on people. You're not, <laughs> you're going to make really superficial friends and your endeavors will inevitably fail because people don't want to be around you. And so the things that you create will fail and you'll end up with lawsuits, et cetera. It, we need that middle path where you're sort of humbled, but in touch with your purpose and moving forward and taking action in your life. And that's what these types of groups that are intentional and, and sort of, um, personal growth focused will do for a person. Yeah. Yeah. It almost seems like, at least in my experience, I'm, I'm trying my best to stay in that middle ground. And then as soon as I start to deviate one way or the other, life has a way of, of reminding me like, Oh, you've been down this arrogant path before. And there's these three experiences you've had before. Remember those? And then it just pops a new one up. Um, you brought exactly. up you brought up the the thing about the uh, with your mom pointing your finger at you or whatever and it's one of the things I wanted to get in with you today um i i have the last not the last thing but the most recent thing i guess and the one that's taken me the longest to work through is the mother wound um i i spent the last 2 years sort of focusing on my dad um, and that's been amazing and it's not by any means finished or anything like that, but I guess, so it's a couple things. So forgive me if it's a little scattered, but I find myself reaching these points where it's like, all right, I've done some work with this wound and my finances are getting better. And then this area is good. And then and then I choose like it's when it feels like everything is kind of uh, like at peace, then I feel like I can jump into a new area. Like now I'm going to start working on my this part of my shadow or whatever. And over the last two months, it was like six things all came up at once. And on top of that, I decided, you know, I think it's time to call my mom, who I haven't talked to in two years. And. So before we get into the mother wound, how do you spread your work out? You know, when do you decide like, oh, now it's time for me to add this to my burner? <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a good question. I mean, when you have some degree of control, I think you know when to add something. But life doesn't always work that way. And it certainly isn't going to work that way as soon as you decide to become a father, mm. right? Like <laughs> your kid's going to bring, or your kids are going to bring whatever they're going to bring, whatever lessons, and you will not be able to control the flow from that pipe. And you're going to be, you're going to need to balance your kids with your career, with your relationship, with your partner, 
and your relationship with your family and your parents and everybody else that wants something to do with you. Right. So, um, yeah, it's at some level, I want to just say like, Hey, you just can't control a lot of things and you've just got to life is like, you're kind of floating down a river and you can swim and sort of move around and <laughs> move to the side and make sure you don't, you know, run into things. Um, and you can direct yourself a little bit, but like you're flowing, you're going and things are going to come your way, whether you like it or not. So, um, but there is a way to sort of invite more, um, possibility for transformation or maybe more mayhem or, or, you know, uh, uh, more activity, let's say in, uh, in your life, you know, like you can, you could go to five transformational workshops in one year. I have a friend who's doing that right now and he's, he's, he's doing it because he's like, Hey, I, I'm transferring over from being a financial advisor to a coach and I'm changing my life rapidly right now. And so here we go. He's going to Joe Dispenza. He's going to the Samurai Brotherhood retreats. He's doing this. He's doing that. Working with David Data. And he's just going for it. And he's like, okay, like I'm, this is intense, but I'm actually right now I'm within my capacity. And then when he, when he starts to see like, oh, actually I'm, I might be a little overcommitted, he backs off. So um, I think it's important to listen to that intuition internally. And also accept that um, at some level you're not in control, you know? So like, what was it that made you decide to call your mom? Cause you knew that was going to bring some stuff up. Yeah. And it was like, it was since last year I had been like, all right, I know I need to do this. Eventually the plan was never to just never talk to her again. The plan was I need space to be able to talk to her. Mm -hmm. And and I guess the reason I was asking is because it sort of just like I spent two years telling myself, oh, this is going to be so difficult. We're going to trigger each other and yada, yada, yada. And then one night I was just making myself dinner and I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm just going to email my mom right now and see if she's open to talking. And, and I did it. And so it's like there wasn't ever actually a barrier to entry. It was just all probably my ego um and and i definitely when we we spoke for like two hours and like my body was shaking when things got kind of triggering and and then after the call i was beating myself up about oh i should have set more boundaries with this or stood up with this just like all that shit came back up and Mm -hmm. It, it, it wasn't like I, I did remain spiritual in that moment, but afterward I was like, just, just all the stuff that I guess that's why I wanted to speak mm-hmm. with her again is because I've seen now how that's affecting my romantic relationships. And, and it's just like, there's no, you know, I can try and work on me as much as I want, but if I don't, ever direct energy toward the like relationships on, on that, that brought me into this world, then there's only so much I can do. Um, and yeah. um, one of the things that came up, you know, I've been 
preparing for, for our conversation for a couple of weeks. And when I talked to my mom and then I listened to a podcast where you mentioned your 12 year old daughter, um, I went and I had, that was the first time I was hearing about it. I think it was the first time you spoke about it. And so, so when I was, I think 12, we grew up in Mexico and at age 12, my mom, my brother, and I moved to the Bay Area and with the option of if you guys don't like it, you guys can go back and live with your dad. And of course, after a year, that's exactly what we did. And then eight, nine, 10 years later, I start to realize that I've got this resentment of my mom not coming back or my mom leaving in the first place even though we went with her it's like it wasn't really about us right her my parents my dad had cheated on my mom her whole life was kind of falling apart and so it was something she needed and when I heard you talking about uh you mentioned that you're not actively parenting your daughter and Mm -hmm. you can you can go into that if you'd like so that listeners aren't just like uh without context Mm -hmm. um one of the things that you, you mentioned was I, I couldn't go and start that life and with the woman that you had the kid with. And I guess I'm, I'm curious to learn more about what that was like for you in, in a sort of hope that it will illuminate some of what might have been going on with my mom at the time where it's like, yes, this is someone that I love dearly and I wish that I could do this, but I need to take care of myself first mm-hmm. kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. I can go into it on, on my side, but um, first I want to just address that. Um, you know, I think sometimes we want to uh, rationalize with our wounding from childhood and we want to be able to understand it. Now that you have a prefrontal cortex and you can understand the complexity of human life, the idea is like, oh, if you could just understand what your mother was going through, that would heal this sort of childhood thing that went on for you. But those are different parts of the brain. Mm -hmm. And um, you were a different person when you were 12. And uh, there is this sort of top-down uh, way that we like to look at the brain where we think we can just sort of dominate the inner child. And so I would caution um, making that your only approach. It, it can be part of it, but uh, at some level, you just need to go and feel what you were feeling when you were 12 years old, just feel like you were abandoned, feel like despite whether she was doing her best or not, just feel those feelings, feel that grief of, of being left like you didn't have a mother when you were 12 and when you were 13 and when you were 14, when you really needed her, you know, that's what you felt, you know, um, all feelings are legitimate and just need to be, uh, owned hundred percent. And that's part of our problem and why we're such a traumatized society is that we're, we're told that our feelings are not okay and that we shouldn't feel them and that we should bypass them in some way. Right. So you can sort of see this, you can see it in the healing uh, that adults 
try to do. <laughs> they want to rationalize with, with their inner child, but where really they, they just need to give, they need to give that inner child love space, holding space, give, give that inner child a voice, you know? So yeah, I encourage you to do both, both sides of that. Um, but yeah, for me, you know, uh, the story is, is that I made a child with, um, a partner who I was in love with, but we weren't committed to like get married and build a life together. And then we had to make the choice of what to do. And, um, we lived in different countries and for me at the time in university, not being clear on what I wanted with my life yet, um, I couldn't make that huge jump and just drop everything and leave my country and go live somewhere else to raise a child, especially when the original agreement was that, you know, um, no matter what, there would be no judgment of, you know, what I did. Um, and I did not want to enter into a relationship, a long-term relationship with someone. If I, if I wasn't in, you know, deeply in love with that person and wanted to wanting to marry them. And I think, a lot of men and a lot of women have faced this situation one way or another. Um, and your mom faced that situation as well. You know, like, do I stay with this man for the kids? Right. And people make these, people have these crossroads and sometimes it happened. Like for me, it happened while the child was in utero and for other people, I know other people where the child was three or four and they're facing that crossroads. Like how long can I go self-denying for the sake of the kids, you know, and for some people they wait, like I know a friend who's, who's dating a woman and she's unhappily married to a man that they don't have sex. They have uh, teenage children and she will not leave him, even though she, their marriage is dead and she wants to be with my friend, you know, and he wants to be with her because, you know, she just won't do that. Right. And meanwhile, I, and I, I interviewed friends, um, when I was at this crossroads about, you know, what, what are the possibilities, you know? And I interviewed one of my best buds at the time. And he said, dude, my whole childhood, I wish my parents would got, would have gotten divorced because they're miserable together. They didn't want to be together. And yeah, I wish they got divorced. And then I talked to another friend whose, whose parents were separated. And he was like, you know what? I love my mom. And I love my dad. And when I was with my dad, I had a great time. And when I was with my mom, I had a great time. Like they just co-parented and they did their best. And I don't feel like I'm wounded by this, you know? So in the end, I was like, man, I just need to, I, I need to do the self-honoring thing, even though it may appear selfish to society. Like, no, you should like stick with your responsibilities and do what's right. You know, I was like, what doing what's right actually for me is, like making sure that I'm happy and that I'm fully invested in something. And so that's how I came to that decision. It was really hard. It was like a real sort of grow up moment. And in talking it out with my parents who were really, really great at the time for me, you know, they, they really weren't, they didn't bring a lot of judgmentalism to me. And I'm so grateful for that. My dad was like, listen, like it's never perfect this child will probably have resentments that you weren't there. She'll have wounding. And, you know, you have wounding about me and your brother has wounding about me and how I wasn't there. And I was there, <laughs> wow. you know, like my, my dad, my dad was a doctor. He's way a lot working, but 
he was a present father and we still have our wounds with him. And, you know, so I was able to have these conversations with my parents about like, listen, everybody has a wound. We all get wounded with our parents because inevitably it's like never enough. We have this like endless need for uh, endless love. And, um, and so we can't run around life trying to prevent wounding everywhere because it's just going to happen. It's just part of being alive. And so there needs to be a higher purpose to all of our choices. And, uh, you know, I would guess that that's where your mom was choosing from. She was choosing from that higher place. And um, so, yeah, so there's some bigger context for you. And, and, and I think, you know, the summary is like, dude, it's not easy to be a human. It's not easy to live this life. And we're all faced with hard decisions. And, you know, when we're 17, 18 years old, we think, that the world's really binary and that like, there's a, there's good guys and there's bad guys. You know, we watched all these movies where it's like pretty clear, good guy, bad guy. And like, there's good people in the world. And there's bad people in the world. And when I was in university, I really felt that too. I was like watching movies that were illuminating certain sort of conspiracy theory movies. And I watched Zeitgeist and I was like, okay, these people are bad. And these, and you know, these people are good. And we should just like, I really believed in communism. Like we just need to, we just need to mix all the money and everybody has the same everything. And then we won't hate each other because we need to get rid of hate, you know? And, and now I realize like, oh, the world's way more complicated and complex and, and uh, it's not that simple, you know? Um, it, it's not that simple. So uh, yeah, I hope that sort of helps. Absolutely. Yeah. I appreciate you sharing about that. Um, and what is it? What's it like? I mean, I'm, I'm sure that when people did judge you for this, and probably there's people that still do, what, like, when you, you, you must get triggered at, at some point, and I have a hard time sometimes not feeling like if I'm triggered, then that means that I'm doing something wrong, or like, then I, I haven't done enough work, or there's a lot of this, like, beating myself up about mm-hmm. just having normal reactions, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So true. Isn't it? Hey, like, uh, I think that I, I think what's underneath that is this assumption that like, you're going to get to an end point in your life where, uh, nothing can phase you anymore. Right. Uh, it's, it, it in some ways it's the, it also is, is intertwined with, the spiritual bypassing, you know, that like one day you're going to be so healed that, that your parents will never trigger you and that your romantic partner will not, will never trigger you. And my message is that I'm pretty sure in my life, that's never going to happen. And your work is not to be done between 22 and 25. And then you're done and you can go live your life. Your work is your entire life. I will always be triggered by my wife in some way. I'm pretty sure, you know, and same goes for my parents, no matter how much work I do. um, I'm getting much better at uh, not reacting intensely to my triggers and um, being able to sort of step back from them and see them for what they are from time to time, but they still occur. And uh, it's, it's part of life, you know, and my work sometimes is to lean into that. And, you know, if someone is coming at me with judgment, if it's a safe scenario for me to do so, I actually can 
take that and be like, oh yeah, that stings a little because I do feel like I'm a bad father. I do feel like I'm not showing up like I should. And that really hurts, you know? And maybe I'll just do that that work internally because the person that I'm with is not a safe person and they're just trying to hurt me. Or maybe they are a safe person and, and I am safe to say like, yeah, you know what? That, that hits home, that hurts because there's a part of me that believes you and, and like, I do feel like a failure, you know? Mm. That'll dismantle somebody's attack pretty quickly. You know, usually if they have any compassion in their bones, any empathy in their, in their bones. So yeah, there's many ways to deal with it, but um, there's other times where you can just be like, oh, I'm going to take that. I'm going to shelf that for later. I'm going to look at that tomorrow morning when I'm not around this particular situation anymore. And I'm going to look at that. I'm going to look at that with my men's group. Hmm. You know, maybe I'm going to bring that to my, to my guys and, and say like, Hey, you know, somebody said this to me the other day, it triggered me and it hurt. And, one of the guys will eventually go like, well, well, part of that's true. And then I can own that with them. And somehow that just sort of flushes it out. You know, it's, it helps it, it helps, helps me get rid of it. So going back to your phone call with your mom, my question for you is who did you have that you could process that with? Who did you have that you could call and talk about this with? Like, Hey, I had this conversation with my mom and I feel guilty and I feel like I should have done this. I'm beating myself up, et cetera. Yeah, I had, I, I don't think I've, this was a couple nights ago. And so I haven't done that. Um, I, I have a couple of friends that are all in Mexico. So they're a phone call away that I can do that with. Um, but that's, I mean, that's part of the reason why I've been searching for a men's group is because mm-hmm. like, I'll be triggered by my mom and then I'll talk about it to someone else and then their sort of take on what's happening will trigger something else. And then I'm just like, I don't, I, I, there comes a point where I don't know if it's just, is it me or am I just not finding the, the right people to process this with, you know, because. Well, you're illuminating a scarcity that, exists in society right now, which is why I'm so fired up about this. Mm Because like it 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 pisses me off that you don't have access to that. I I'm upset that you don't have a circle of support like I have or like some of the guys in my life have where they have a squad of guys they can reach out to at any time and say like hey guys I want to process anybody available for a phone call like in my life right now there's like a litany of WhatsApp chats where guys are sort of reaching out to each other or giving each other support all the time because I've sort of embedded myself in, in this men's work thing. And um, then when I talk to other people, I realize how scarce this is for some people and how I, it almost feels like unfair or like something needs to change because that I want that for you. I want you to feel like when you have a huge win in your life or when you're struggling with something, that you've got a list of guys that you go to. And th- this is one of the reasons why AA is great for people. And it's very under, uh, underappreciated. You know, AA has a program that's, you know, you know, people can criticize that. I think it's a useful program, but the fellowship there in some, for a lot of people is what actually gets them clean. They have a, they have, when you go to your first meeting, you get a list of people and their phone numbers and they say, call these numbers anytime you want 
put them in your phone, middle of the night. If you're struggling, just go down this list, call somebody. And people do that from time to time and they make real friends and they, they reach out when they're, they're hurting. It's the same principle, you know, build a network of, of support. And um, I, I trust that you're actually looking. <laughs> yeah. And the, the, the issue is the supply. It's, it's the demand is high. There is a ton of demand for this shit. And the supply is low and like, we need more people. We need more guys like you just doing the work because what happens is you find the right community. That's a good fit. And you jump in both feet, hundred percent. You're just into it and it transforms your life. It takes you to your next level. And then you go, Oh my God, I want to share this with other people. You become a leader. You start running your own group and you share this with other guys and they become the next generation of leaders. And this whole thing's a big fat pyramid scheme where we all get healthy together and we find ourselves and men evolve and we grow up, you know? So that's my hope for you is that like your search right now, that your clarity that like, okay, I'm looking for a men's group is that that just lands in your lap. It probably will. That's my guess. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm going to, I forgot the name of it already, but I'm going to re-listen to the earlier part in this podcast where you, I think, empowered brotherhood or something like yeah. that empowered um, they have a they have a website check those guys out the empowered brotherhood yeah um and and yeah i'm definitely looking um i actually had an experience recently where i was in a men's group and i'd gone for several weeks and then we were doing like a exercise on the ground and i had shared earlier in the meeting that i might not be able to see my dad because i wasn't vaccinated and etc mm-hmm. and then I was no longer able to be a part of the group because of that. And, uh-huh. and it was just like, even, even after I found the group, that's why I asked, like, what do you look for? Cause the fact that, that they would do that, um, like my dad has brain cancer and I was first shared about it, that meeting. And then the fact that somebody or a group of men would sort of, uh, I guess it triggered my abandonment, but hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. Um, yeah. but, but yeah, um, I'm definitely going to look into some of the other options that you offered and I know we're out of time. So the, the last, the last thing I wanted to ask is a quick thing. What is a book you would recommend for both, uh, like two separate recommendations, one for shadow work mm-hmm. and one for somebody that's two, three years into their journey on whatever topic hmm. well that second one's pretty wide open um yeah the, I, I just first want to speak to like the fact that you were excluded from this group because you weren't vaccinated um to me that this sort of like group think and this discrimination, it just means that group's been compromised. Like the rest of society has been compromised right now. This is my opinion. And that, um, the discrimination of this kind has just been like, uh, it's just been made. Okay. And it's not seen as discrimination in the traditional sense because, um, because the majority believes that you're just making a choice and that you're, that it's an irresponsible choice. And that they, they have a responsibility to shove it down your throat or exclude you from society. And um, I've seen this everywhere. 
And I've seen it in some of my friends, especially on Facebook, right? The extended community, you start to see the fighting that happens and, and you start to be like, oh, okay, I don't really trust that person anymore. And um, yeah, I think uh, the story hasn't fully played out, but I think we're really seeing the dark side of humanity right now in this way, how people will turn on each other over uh, an infectious disease that, uh, that has a very high survival rate. And um, especially related to uh, treatment that um, doesn't actually seem to work that well. They're like, they're going to exclude you because you're not getting the treatment for the thing that has a high survival rate and, um, you know, exclude you from society. And, and I'm the crazy one. <laughs> yeah, you're the crazy one. Interesting, interesting perspective, folks. Like, I thought we were all about love and tolerance. Like, isn't that what we say? Like, we're all in this together unless you're vaccinated right? Weird. That, that wasn't the original message, but I have a lot to say about that. And it's, it's been really frustrating for me to be a part of uh, society <laughs> through all of this, but um, yeah, I just want to say, keep looking, man. And like, especially in Austin, I know this because I know people in Austin. I know the influencers in Austin and uh, a lot of them think like you do and like I do. And they're non-discriminatory and they're pro-love and they're um yeah so just keep keep moving forward and don't let these uh kicks in the nuts uh keep you down because um there are more people who think like you and i do than than you think and then the majority thinks the majority thinks that like they're everybody and that you're like the last guy on earth who's not vaccinated <laughs> And it's not true. There's a lot of people hiding. There's a lot of people um, who just don't want to speak up right now because, um, because of what you experienced. And I can guarantee there's a lot of people lying about being vaccinated, right? Yeah. Sorry, folks. Like y'all think you're all vaccinated in that group. Guarantee there's a few guys in there who are lying about it because they just, they, I mean, look at where we are. You can't be honest right now. Otherwise you, you become a minority, excluded minority. So um <laughs> I've got your back and, uh, and I appreciate I, you sharing your experience. I, yeah. I appreciate that. I was, frankly, I was like, not because of anything I've seen about you, but just because of the situation, I was like, should I bring this up? Is he fucking gonna feel the same way about it? You <laughs> it's <know>? scary. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Yeah. Um, so yeah, just to finish on, uh, on your book recommendations. So, um, a couple. So for shadow work, there's actually a great book called Owning Your Own Shadow. Okay. I believe the author is like Robert A. Johnson or something like this. Um, it's a very thin book. It's like, it's a quick read, but it is like shadow work 101, uh, very clearly stated, you know, and he, he takes Carl Jung's concepts and, and uh, does a great job of showing you why you should look at your shadow. And why you might want to do that with other people as well. Um, a great book for anyone who's a few years on their journey. So um, I'm going to recommend a book for women and a book for men. So for men, check out King Warrior Magician Lover. I read that book early on in my journey. And then I read it a few years in. And a few years in, I was like, oh, yeah. Like it just like it just hit because... The depth that they go to there with the archetypes is um, 
you're not going to understand it at the beginning of your journey, in my opinion, unless you're like a real head, which I'm not. Um, you, you, you have to really start to understand shadow expression and, and like how the sort of the light shows up in a person and in a group and how the shadow uh, comes up. And when you start to do that work and, and you start to do it in groups and, you, and yourself, and then you bring in King Warrior Magician Lover and you start to see the examples of how the king shows up in the world and how the lover is and, and you see it in yourself. And then the shadow sides of those things, it's super cool. Mm. Um, so I recommend guys digging into that like later on in their journey. And uh, for women, uh, my wife just wrote a book. It's called Becoming the One. And it's not out yet though, is it? It's, she just released the pre-order link Okay. Uh, I think that's it, it. Yeah, it's definitely on her um, Rising Woman Instagram, and uh, it's a good book. I've read. I've read it, and um, women are gonna freak out over this book. Like her, the, all of the women who have read it so far, like, I think I think I'm one of the only men who's read it. Maybe the only man. Um, nope. There's been a couple. Um, they like have had massive transformations just reading the book. So uh, it's going to be a game changer. So um, if you're a woman, you're listening to this, go to rising woman and, and pre-order uh, becoming the one it's, it's going to be a bestseller. My wife's like, I don't know. And I'm like, babe, watch out, <laughs> like watch the wave that's going to occur from this. It's going to be really cool. Yeah. Yeah. I saw the cover for it. It looks really good. Um, yeah. And even, I mean, I know a lot of these books have crossover for men and women, but even for me, I was like, I'm interested in reading that. Um, yeah. I, I actually would recommend it for men too. There's a lot of stuff in there around uh, abandonment wounding and how to, how to take care of your inner child. We talked about this on this episode, like really caring for your inner child. And uh, she does a great job of, of uh, illuminating that. Awesome. Uh, well, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, it was awesome ch chatting with you and definitely something I'm going to, re-listen to and grab some nuggets of wisdom. Um, so where can people find you? Yeah. Um, my website is evolvingman.com. Uh, my podcast is the evolving man podcast. Um, on my website, I've got uh, um, a couple's course for couples, uh, creating conscious love. Um, I've got a men's work course for guys who want to understand uh, more about what men's work is. It's a video course. It's kind of like, six or seven coaching sessions with me, uh, for the cost of one. So, um, that was last year's project. And, and I, a lot of guys have said, uh, really good things about, about, um, the course we dig into, uh, archetype work in the course as well. And I'm also on Instagram at evolving man. So that's where most of my media is like what if I'm like posting, I definitely don't post daily, but I might post weekly <laughs> on Instagram. Uh, so yeah, follow the podcast, uh, follow me on Instagram and, and check out uh, the courses. If, if, if you or somebody, you know, um, could benefit from, from those things. So yeah. Thanks Nicholas for having me on. Really appreciate it. And uh, I think we had a great conversation. I hope, I hope people get a lot out of it. I, I agree. Um, I'm flying down to Cancun tomorrow to see my dad. So I'll be sending you some good vibes. Thanks for coming on, Ben. Right on, brother. Have a good one. You too. Bye-bye.